When you picture Memphis, Tennessee, high up on the bluff above the Mississippi River, you probably think of funk and soul and fried chicken and all the other great cultural forms that emerge from that place. But there's more to modern Memphis than that. Chicken shawarma, for example. That might not be the first food that comes to mind when you think of Memphis. But after we tell you a little story set at Alibaba's Middle Eastern restaurant there, it might be. The man to know at Alibaba's, the man who cooks delicious chicken shawarma, is Mahmoud Al-Hazaz. He was forced to leave his home in Syria, but here in the American South, he found a new home and a new kitchen in Memphis, Tennessee. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We're a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. Syria, which is, eh, say, about the same size as Florida, sits on the Mediterranean Sea, and it shares borders with Turkey and Iraq and Israel, Jordan and Lebanon. Those countries also share histories, and of equal import for us, they share a larder. They share ingredients and seasonings. By peeling back the layers on Mahmoud's story, producer Rose Reed got a glimpse of the miles, travels, and hardships endured by other Middle Eastern immigrants to Memphis. And she learned how the cooking of a mother in Syria drove the development first of a restaurant and eventually a whole community that found solace at table here in Tennessee. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Whoa! I'm standing in a walk-in freezer, staring at a waist-tall barrel full of soaking garbanzo beans. Chef Mahmoud Al-Hazaz is giving me a tour of his kitchen before the first lunch customers arrive. Mahmoud is about six feet tall, he has olive skin, dark brown eyes, and black hair. And Mahmoud has followed a singular goal in life, to cook. And standing here at 10 a.m. in the empty and spacious, clean restaurant of Alibaba's in East Memphis, it seems that this came easy to Mahmoud. But that's far from the case. In order to tell you the story of how Alibaba's came to be, and how Mahmoud came to the United States as a refugee and got connected with the community of Memphis, convinced a fellow immigrant to back his new restaurant, we have to go back to the beginning. Before Syria's civil war forever changed Mahmoud's life trajectory, and before Mahmoud was a practicing chef. Back to 1985 in a tiled kitchen in the city of Homs, Syria, about an hour east of the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> My mother taught me how to cook. When I first started cooking, I started cooking the makluba. Makluba actually means upside down. It's a dish made with rice, eggplant, carrots, chicken. You slow cook it and then you flip it. I would ask my mom, how much are you putting in? What kind of seasonings are you using? My mom said, if you like this, you're going to be famous one of these days. Mahmoud speaks mostly Arabic. And the English you'll hear in this episode is a translator. 
When Mahmoud refers to Arabic food, he's referring to food from Syria and its neighbors. He's referring to the way that they prepare it, but also the way they serve it in communal dishes of meat and rice, with small dishes of baba ganoush, hummus, and labna being passed around, always served with pita bread. Mahmoud loved being in the kitchen. He kept coming back to Nabi with his mother and his sisters. So in 1992, when Mahmoud was 13, he told his parents he wanted to quit school and become a professional chef. He wanted to go to the biggest city he could to do it. He wanted to move three hours south to Beirut, Lebanon. At the time, it wasn't so unusual to want to work. My parents said, if that's what I really felt, they would support me. It's hard to explain, but 13 years old is a little bit different over there. It's not like here, where 13-year-olds want to play with games and are worried about their toys. We go through a lot. Mahmoud's older brother went with him to Lebanon. He helped Mahmoud get jobs and he watched out for him. And Mahmoud treated his time in Beirut as if he was in culinary school, trying to get a variety of experiences. He worked in a bakery. He worked in a traditional Italian restaurant making pasta and spaghetti and getting experience in fine dining. Then Mahmoud and his brother found an investor and together they opened up a small restaurant, mainly lunch and mainly to go, called Beirut Cafe. At our restaurant, we made steaks, hamburgers, french fries. I worked really closely with my brother. He's actually a great chef. I learned a lot from him. I'm the kind of person where, if there's a better chef around me, I have to learn from them. My brother and I got along really well. We saw about 700 people a day, five days a week. We were always full. Mahmoud married a Syrian woman and had a baby girl. Things were going really well for him and his family in Beirut. But there was unrest brewing to the south, on the Lebanon-Israel border. In July of 2006, the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah captured Israeli soldiers, and when Israel retaliated, it led to a month of airstrikes that displaced hundreds of thousands of people. And it made life virtually impossible in Beirut. The city began to shut down. Everybody began to leave. The owner of our restaurant disappeared. He went somewhere with his family. We had no idea where he went. My brother and I didn't get paid for the last month we were working in Beirut. The government announced that there would be a ceasefire for six hours and that anyone who wanted to leave should leave then. My brother and I decided it's time to go. And with our wives, and we each had a young baby, we packed the car and left in the middle of the night. We didn't even have time to pack food. All we had was water. At that time, there was very little communication with Syria. I hadn't spoken to my family. We drove the three hours back to Homs. We arrived in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. Our family pulled out of the house. Everyone was so happy. They were singing and everything. They, they were surprised to see us alive. I felt so much better. I thought the worst was behind me. My brother and I were back in hometown of Homs, Syria for about three months before we opened up our own restaurant. We were partners. 
It was the first time I was my own boss, and it felt so good. We named our restaurant Lebanon's. We made sandwiches to go, we also roasted chickens to go, like Sam's Club. But when I was cooking, it wasn't just for cooking's sake. It came from the inside. I was also really thoughtful about the design and the layout of the restaurant and the way we presented the fast food. We have a saying in Arabic, which means the eye eats, not the mouth. If it looks good, you want to eat it. Five years passed. It felt good for Mahmoud to be back in Syria. His business grew and so did his family. He had two more children. The bombs and the shelling, the airstrikes and curfews, leaving in the middle of the night, it all seemed so far behind him. But in May 2011, that would all change. The 2006 Lebanon war that Mahmoud had escaped had been a symptom of growing unrest throughout the Middle East and was a preview of what was about to come to Syria. When Bashar al-Assad ran unopposed and was elected president in 2000, Syrians were hopeful. He was a mild-mannered European trained doctor, and in him, Syrians saw the potential for reform after his father's 30-year reign. But they were wrong. And by 2011, they were fed up. Syria now, where hundreds of people are protesting against President Bashar al-Assad in the city of Homs, Syria's third largest city that's become one of the main centers of the anti-government uprising, activists say, and government troops stormed houses. In the early spring of 2011, also known as Arab Spring, while Mahmoud and his brother were focused on their bustling business, massive protests had begun in Egypt and had inspired young Syrians. In February 2011, a group of school children in the southern city of Dara graffitied a popular anti-government slogan, the people want to topple the regime. And when the 15 school children were arrested and then tortured, the city erupted. A brutal government retaliation to the protest would spark the civil war that continues today. And in May 2011, it came quite literally to Mahmoud's front door. <laughs> And on the day of the bombing, our 14 employees were there. I'll never forget that day. It was 6 o'clock at night, there had been protesting earlier that day, and there was an airstrike. A missile hit the front door of our restaurant. All of my employees and customers, we ran to the back immediately, and a second bomb went off. Nobody was hurt, thank God. But the entire restaurant was destroyed. That night, my father told my brother and me, it's time for you to go. At that time, it was still really easy to drive to Jordan and to get work. My father was too sick to travel, but he insisted we go ahead of him and that he would join us a few weeks later. But I never saw him again. Mahmoud and his family had to flee once again, this time to Jordan. He still considered himself a chef, but the United Nations gave him a new title, refugee. Mahmoud is counted as one of the 65 million people around the globe who are currently displaced either by war or persecution. 
Refugees who are resettled undergo extreme vetting that usually lasts two years, and they have no influence on where they're placed. Mahmoud, his wife, and four children were in Jordan for four years before the UN High Commissioner of Refugees told them they were going to the United States. His older brother, his longtime mentor and business partner, was placed in Brazil. Their mother had to stay in Jordan because of a health condition that prevents her from traveling, and she still lives there. Mahmoud, his wife, and four children were told that they were going to a place called Memphis, Tennessee. Mahmoud hoped it would be nice, but he knew he would cook. There's that donor music. In 2009, Ron Marks purchased yogurt-making equipment, sourced grass-fed milk from local farmers, and made his first batch of Greek yogurt. Atlanta Fresh Artisan Creamery was born, and the company expanded with assistance from a Whole Foods Market local producer's grant. Atlanta Fresh has been committed to quality ingredients from the beginning. The milk that comes from our farm comes from cows that have been fed nothing but non-GMO forages and grasses. Using our state-of-the-art dairy parlor, not only can our consumers know which farm their milk comes from, we can tell them which animal. Freshness is quality, and part of that is knowing that we are getting the milk into the creamery literally hours out of the cow, and when people taste our yogurt or milk, they say, I've never tasted a product like this before. When next you visit Whole Foods, Look for Atlanta Fresh, Greek yogurt and milk, and a variety of flavors. Your purchase and Whole Foods Local Producer Program supports quality food from homegrown businesses, just as Whole Foods supports this podcast. Eat real food from Whole Foods Market. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's noon on a sunny spring day in East Memphis, and the kitchen tour at Alibaba's is officially over because lunch customers are starting to arrive. There's a woman wearing a headscarf carrying a sleeping baby who comes in to pick up a large order of kebab and rice for takeout. And there's a revolving door of businessmen who come in solo wearing shirts and ties, eating shawarma sandwiches on their lunch break. As I talked to the customers and the six workers at Alibaba's, I learned something. This restaurant may have been Mahmoud's idea, but it took a village to make it. We are one of nine organizations in the States that have uh, an agreement with the government to welcome new refugees. I'm sitting with PJ Moore at the Memphis Office of World Relief. If you're a Syrian refugee resettling in Memphis, chances are you've been through this office. This past year, we did 278 refugees 
this year we were projecting to do about 325 so we were growing every year uh, since we opened four years ago uh, with the executive orders the recent executive orders it looks like our numbers will be about cut in half so we're looking at around 130 to 150 and before they come we have an apartment that we find in town for them we get that set up with some basic needs, kitchen supplies, um, bedding, uh, couches, things like that. We help their kids get enrolled in school, um, English classes. Uh, we help them, teach them how to pay their bills. Uh, we have an um, employment team that helps find those first jobs, entry-level jobs. Refugees are given less than a year to secure work, and World Relief helps them with those efforts. But often a refugee's professional experience in their home country and their language skills may not transfer to their new jobs. The job was in storage. I'd have to learn how to operate the forklift. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to cook. I wanted to make Arabic food for Americans in Memphis. Food I know how to cook. I had been in Memphis less than a month, and I asked a friend, another Syrian, who I could cook for. And he told me about Khalid. So I'm in love with shawarma. I used to go eat shawarma all the way to Nashville. Nashville has a lot of uh, Kurdish community, Iraqi, so they have a lot of restaurants there. So I used to go there. It's only Khalid is a Yemeni-American in his mid-30s. He's thin and wiry and moves with efficiency. Khalid manages several gas stations and has an insatiable entrepreneurial spirit. When he learned there was a new chef in town who claimed to cook good Middle Eastern food, he wanted to meet him. So when Mahmoud uh, showed up in Memphis, a friend of mine, he told me that Mahmoud is a chef and he makes good shawarma. It was a test because I, he's talking, he's bragging, so I want to test his food. Is it really, is it true what he's saying, what he's talking about? I knew it was a test. I marinated the chicken with my recipe for a few days and then packed my car with everything I'd need to make a chicken shawarma sandwich. I met Khalid at the Grizzly Mart, one of Shaher's gas stations. They had a small area where they sell fried chicken. There, I set everything up I would need. Roasted and sliced the chicken shawarma, made garlic mayonnaise from scratch. And wrap it, you know, with some cucumber and uh, tomatoes. And I decide, okay, now that guy, we have a good chef and we should look for a good location to open a restaurant. Khaled figured he could run the business side of things while Mahmoud ran the kitchen. And now they just needed an investor. And Khaled knew the right man to go to, his boss, Shahir. I was not for it 100%. And I told him, it's going to be a lot. Shahir stands about five feet tall and has his hand on his hip. He owns seven gas stations in the Memphis area. And like Khalid, he's originally from Yemen. But he doubted if Memphians were ready for an authentic Middle Eastern restaurant. People don't want to change. They don't want to change. They just want to stay where they are. They want a greasy hamburger, greasy fried chicken, and greasy barbecue. They don't want to try anything different. Khalid understood Shaher's hesitations. Well, yeah, in the beginning, back in 98, uh, Memphis was 
not as open as, as is it right now. It was not so many other nationality that lived in Memphis at that time. So you only see white, black, and you know, you are here in the South. Racism, discrimination, you know, even between the white and the black was white people. You know, you go places only black people and you go places only white people. So at that time, it was, uh, I was like lost. You know, I'm not white, I'm not black. So I, they, they I go, I'm, I'm a different color, different look. When, you come, when I came down to Memphis, it took me some time to get used to the, the things here in Memphis. Memphis now is much, much better than back in 98, back in the 90s. More people moved to Memphis. More when Mahmoud arrived in Memphis in 2015, Khalid had been working for Shahir for more than 10 years and had earned Shahir's trust. Khalid was ripe for an opportunity to own his own business. And now, together with Shahir, he would open a restaurant. Khalid recruited several other co-workers from Shahir's gas stations to work at Alibaba's. They found a space with large booths and a tiled floor on the eastern outskirts of Memphis. Within a year of Mahmoud being in the United States, Alibaba's opened in September 2016. And Mahmoud was the head chef. I know the restaurant business. It's how I've supported my family in Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan, and now Memphis. Well, it's not about people. I just opened a restaurant because my main goal was I need to eat some authentic Arabic food. I said, this is going to help them. They're going to have a job and they're going to have something they know what to do. And I, I was convinced because of the food too. The food was great. The economic argument for immigrants is overwhelmingly in favor of welcoming more immigrants and diversifying our, our, our country. Um, so it's to build businesses, want to employ others with their businesses, and that's what we've seen. And so we're welcoming guys like Mahmoud that uh, want to really participate and contribute to our culture here in our city. While visiting one of Memphis's nine mosques, I hear how Alibaba's is thought of as a go-to spot for halal food. Halal meat refers to the way that the animals are raised and slaughtered according to biblical law. Similar to the kosher requirements, the animal's neck is sliced in one motion and the blood is drained completely to minimize suffering and to maximize food safety. When I brought a group of friends to Alibaba's, we were immediately greeted as if we were longtime customers and offered cold or hot tea, and then served the largest plate of meat I've ever seen, with a bell pepper in the middle of it, completely ablaze. And after being there only a day, Mahmoud invited me to his home to meet his wife. Hi, how are you? Good. Nice, nice to, to meet you. you. Hi, Mahmoud. Yeah, I'm just bringing some friends just for dinner. Just say hi. And when I arrived, his wife hugged me, and we talked about our families and the movies that we like as if we had known each other for a very long time. I sat down in her living room and she served me the strongest coffee I've ever had. Wow. As a girl raised in the South, I thought I knew something about being a gracious host. But being in Mahmoud's restaurant and being in his home with his wife, I felt what it meant to be really welcomed as a guest. PJ at World Relief had a very similar experience. Uh, when I first started at World Relief, as a caseworker, you walk into an apartment and you're there to 
say, hey, we got to get to this appointment by this time. And, and they're already pouring tea for you. You know, they've got the nuts out and, and we're talking about, you know, how's your family? How your wife? Do you have kids? Oh, you need to get kids. You know, all these things. And folks uh, volunteer to come alongside these new families. And a lot of times they end up thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to teach them all these things about how to live in America. And, you know, we're, we're here in the South and Southern hospitality. There's actually a lot of exchange around that idea of hospitality. I think what's really interesting is that in Scripture that Matthew 25 talks about inviting the sojourner into your home. Um, you know, the word there uh, for stranger when you're when you're inviting strangers into your home, it's actually the Greek is the ethnically other. So we're supposed to show hospitality to the ethnically other. I thank God that after everything, I'm here in Memphis, and I'm working in the same field. I love to cook. I love working with my hands that way. Even if I'm home, I'll cook. It's what I do. I like Memphis. The people have been very nice. I'm practicing my English. I want to know Memphis better, but I've been cooking a lot since I've been here. I guess my, my last question is, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share? No. No more questions. You have asked me all the questions. You're like a butcher. You cut the meat from the bone. There is nothing left. Thank you so much. Nafa? I'm so full. <laughs> You're going to have to roll me out of here. <laughs> if you should find yourself in East Memphis craving a chicken shawarma sandwich, Alibaba's is waiting for you. And so is Mahmoud. Since the Syrian war began in 2011, half of that nation's 22 million people have been displaced. The U.S. has welcomed over 12,000 Syrian refugees, and 27 Syrian families have joined Mahmouds in Memphis. On our website, you can learn how to cook rice the way that Mahmoud does, scented with burning charcoal, by following his family recipe. That's at southernfoodways.org. There, you can also learn more about Syria, about the organization World Relief, and about the various inspirations for this episode. Special thanks to Mahmoud and to his family, to the Reed family, to Dahlia Mortada and Emma Beals. Special thanks also to Allison Berenger and to Gravy intern Robin Miniter. Sarah Camp Milam is managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media. One last thing to know. Hani Hawalsi translated this episode, and Dara Hirsch scored it. For that culture and language bridging work, we are thankful. Coming up, a taste of the next episode of Gravy. But first... Can't get enough smart stories about Southern foodways? Our sister print quarterly, also called Gravy, just released its spring 2017 issue. Inside, you'll find a photo essay about family recipes, a conversation about the value of Southern food between Kat Kinsman and NYU Food Studies professor Krishnendu Ray, and an article about the Southern roots of the Detroit food system. To subscribe to Gravy, all you have to do is become an SFA member. You can do that online at southernfoodways.org. Membership dollars support all SFA work, including this podcast.
Coming up on the next episode of Gravy, a look at a new challenge for farmers. It's a financial challenge, a kind of dollars and cents quandary. For first-generation farmers, land acquisition often proves expensive and difficult. Gravy will travel with reporter Caroline Leland to visit Thriving Earth Farm in Tennessee to learn how to navigate the new ag economy. That's next time on Gravy. I'm John T. Edge for the Southern Foodways Alliance. As you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war.